Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you very much for joining me. I hope that you were able to listen to the previous two programs, the interview that I did with Danilo, uh, the first one of which I asked him to give us his testimony, and if you heard that, you know it was just a, a very um, a beautiful testimony, very moving testimony, and as I pointed out, uh, his conversion story uh, has all of the accounts, or not all the accounts, all of the, the elements that one would uh, hope to find in a person who has been truly converted by the Holy Spirit of God, made alive in Christ. Uh, he had no familial support. In fact, he had quite the opposite. Uh, he had direct opposition from his family. He was simply converted by reading the Bible but his family, his parents were not Christian. They were spiritists. Uh, they had been um, talking to dead people. So uh, they were they were very much in opposition to his conversion. But he was converted simply through reading the scriptures, got opposition from his parents. Uh, he was 16 years old. And then a few years later, in he, while he's in college, he's continuing to read and study God's word. And he is uh, he faces more persecution in college and great temptation. He said at one point he was even surrounded by um, women, young women, who were chiding him, uh, Danilo, don't you want to, don't you find us attractive? Don't you want to have sex with us? And he said, no. He said, well, yeah, I, l I like girls, but no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to do that with you. He he stood up. I mean, how, I tell you, I mean, let's just get real honest here. There's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of young men in college that would say no to that, uh, but him his his steadfastness in both persecution and temptation uh, that is that is that is one of the hallmarks of a of a real believer, and uh, so I, I just rejoice in that. And, and as you can tell if you listen to it, he, he's very he's very gentle spirited. He's firm in his convictions. Yet he is very gentle-spirited. Uh, my wife listened to his testimony just last night on the radio program, pulled it up and listened to it, and uh, she was quite moved by it. And so anyway, I hope those programs were a blessing for you. If you have not listened to them, please go back and listen uh, to the two programs entitled My Trip to Brazil uh, Interview, um, Part 1 and Part 2. I really think that they will be an encouragement to you. All right, dear ones, well, let us continue with our study into the Jehovah's Witnesses. In our last program that we did on the Jehovah's Witnesses, we began talking about their soteriology, their doctrine of salvation. And we talked about how their doctrine of salvation is, is complicated, uh, to say the least. They teach different salvations for different people. Of course, famously or infamously, if you will, they have... The 144,000, they're real big on the 144,000, but it is only these who are selected by God for a special spiritual service, and only the 144,000 will go to the celestial heaven. These are recreated uh, into spiritual beings, 
not physical beings. They're, they're spiritual beings, just like they teach that Jesus is a spiritual being. They teach that he does not have a physical body. Uh, yet the New Testament gives ample and, and crystal clear testimony that he that he does, in fact, have a physical body. But they do not teach that. They teach that it's only these 144,000 spirit beings that will be born again. All the other Jehovah's Witnesses, these are these are the other sheep Jesus spoke of in John chapter 10, according to them. Uh, however, looking at the context, it's very obvious that the other sheep that Jesus references in John 10 are the Gentiles, not other Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, for the non-JWs, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses hold that these people will be given an opportunity to earn salvation after death. They will live on earth during the 1,000-year millennium. And as long as they live a good life, well, they can live on earth forever. I mean, you can forget about being in the 144,000 celestial kingdom. That's not even in view. That's uh, that's not even a possibility. But you can live on earth, on a renovated earth forever. Uh, but if you do not... Uh, earn your salvation if your works are not good enough. Well, as I said the other day, no soup for you. You are annihilated. And yet this is in direct contradiction to Hebrews 9.27 and Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 among other texts. And according to the JW doctrine of soteriology, their view of the doctrine of salvation, grace is not unmerited favor, but rather is an opportunity to earn salvation by your works. Quoting from the Watchtower Society, in all areas of our life, we should be prepared to give our very best. We should not be half-hearted about such vital matters. What is at stake is Jehovah's approval and our being granted life. So they very much do have a work salvation. And in my interview with John and Patricia, they were either not being honest about what they believe and what the JWs teach, or they are simply very, very confused and ignorant of what their own um, quote-unquote church teaches. So let's pick up there, and let's think through some of the implications of their doctrine of salvation, uh, their their very errant, complicated view of salvation. Let's talk about some of the implications. Number one, uh, for one thing, the JWs have no assurance of salvation. They have no assurance of salvation. You can, I mean, they can pretty much forget about being part of the 144,000. No, no rank-and-file JW would even, uh, even forward any hope, really, on his or her part that he or she would be part of the 144,000. They really don't even think that's, that's a possibility. I mean, that's a, a very um, small group of people, and none of your rank-and-file JWs believe that they will be one of those. So um, that's kind of that's kind of um, out of the realm of possibility there. But even just to live on earth, even just to live on earth forever, that is at jeopardy if their works are not up to snuff. If, if they don't work hard enough, then even living on earth for all of eternity, that's um, that's that's really up for grabs too. That's a rather dicey situation as well. During the millennium, the JWs believe that they must work, and they must work hard. For if they do not, they can forfeit the opportunity of being recreated and living forever on earth. So it is absolutely 
a works salvation. That is what they believe. They can tell you all day long until the cows come home that they do not believe in a work salvation, but yes, they do. Uh, again, I quoted to you right from the Watchtower Society itself. So if you're ever witness, witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness or they're trying to witness to you and you bring up, well, you believe in a work salvation, if they say, oh, no, we don't, then you say, oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do believe it. Because here's a quote from the Watchtower Society. I'll, I'll read this again. Maybe you want to jot this down. And if you can't write it fast enough, then just you know go back and rewind it. But here's a quote from the Watchtower Society. In all areas of our life, we should be prepared to give our very best. We should not be half-hearted about such vital matters. What is at stake is Jehovah's approval and our being granted life, end quote. So that is what is at stake. They're, they're, the possibility of them being granted eternal life is contingent upon their works. So they absolutely do believe in a work salvation. And of course, that is a different gospel. Remember Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, Who has bewitched you? You know, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, they had they had trusted in a different gospel, Paul says in uh, Galatians 1, uh, there in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. They, they had fallen for a different gospel. What made it a different gospel? Do you know what? Do you know what made it a different gospel? What Paul, uh, what what caused Paul to to label their belief as a different gospel? They had everything right. They believed in the deity of Christ, the crucifixion, the bodily resurrection. They believed in all the right things. The one thing, though, that the Galatians added to the gospel was this: circumcision, circumcision. And Paul, when Paul learned of that, he blistered the Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Trusted a different gospel just because they've added circumcision. So, dear friends, if we in any way believe that our salvation is contingent upon our works in any capacity then that's a different gospel. We have added to the cross, and any time you add something something to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you've got a different gospel. And a work salvation does that. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a work salvation, regardless of what they may tell you at your door. They believe in a work salvation, just like the Roman Catholics believe in a work salvation. So that is, uh, that is a different gospel, and a different gospel does not save. Now, uh, what's interesting is you can actually take their Bible translation, the New World Translation, and we'll, we'll begin talking about that in this program. I want to go through some of the errors of the New World Translation, the NWT, but you can even prove to a Jehovah's Witness from their own version, from their own Bible, the NWT, that salvation is not a works. I want to read John chapter 6, verse 40. John chapter 6, verse 40, and I'm going to read this to you out of their own Bible, okay, out of the New World Translation. John chapter 6, verse 40 says this, quote, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone that beholds the Son and exercises faith in Him should have everlasting life, and I will resurrect Him at the last day, end quote. Uh, 
That's John chapter 6, verse 40, out of the New World Translation. Now, a couple of points to be made from this. Did you notice in the NWT it says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone that beholds a son, everyone, not just the 144K, not just 144,000, everyone. So out of their own translation, uh, you can disprove their view of the 144,000. That's one point. But the other point, it says, Everyone that beholds a son and exercises faith in him, faith in him should have everlasting life. It doesn't say anything about works, faith in him. So this is right out of their own Bible. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, a familiar passage for all of us. I'll read Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, out of the New World Translation in WT. It says this, quote, By this undeserved kindness, indeed, you have been saved through faith. And this is not owing to you, it is God's gift. No, it is not owing to works, in order that no man should have grounds for boasting. End quote. Now that's even more clear than their rendering of John six verse forty. I mean, it's that's not a, a half bad. I mean, the, the the New American Standard. You have been saved by grace through faith. They call grace undeserved kindness, which eh, it's you know, pretty close. But um, anyway, but you can read this right out of their own translation. It says you have been saved through faith. And this is not owing to you. It is God's gift. No, it is not owing to works in order that no man should have grounds for boasting. That's that's pretty good rendering of verse 9 there in Ephesians chapter 2. So you can prove out of their own translation, out of their own Bible, that salvation is not of works. Salvation is by grace, as they would say, undeserved kindness. It is by grace through faith. And you can prove so next time they, uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, they'll probably have one of their Bibles with them. If they don't have an actual copy, almost sh- almost assuredly they'll have it on their phone. And um, because John and Patricia did when I was witnessing to them, uh, they had uh, they had the New World Translation on an app on their phone. You can get an NWT app on your phone, by the way, if you want to do it, just for reference. I got one on mine after I talked with John and Patricia, or right before I talked to them. And when I knew I was going to have that long discussion with them, I I got one downloaded on my phone so I could have it. So uh, anyway, I mean, right out of right out of their out of their own copy of God's Word, you can prove that salvation is by grace through faith, and it is not of works. Okay, dear one. Well, that's um, an overview of their doctrine of salvation. Now I want us to turn our attention to the New World Translation itself. This is their Bible. Uh, the The New Testament of the New World Translation was published in 1950, and they published the entire Bible in 1961. So it's um, you know, it's it's a relatively new translation. Um, the Watchtower Society claims that its Bible, the NWT is the most accurate Bible translation available. You remember, if you heard my witnessing encounter with John and Patricia, remember that John said what he said in our discussion. He cited some scholar, and I, I forgot his name. I don't I don't even know who it was. But uh, he cited some scholar who claimed that of all of the Bible translations out there, the New World Translation is the best 
and most accurate rendering from the original languages. Uh, remember that, and um, and so we, we that was kind of a, a brief point that he made, and we moved on from there. But the the JWs are very fond of claiming that their Bible is the most accurate translation out there, and I'm going to spend whatever time we have left today, which looking at the clock, not a whole lot, but we'll go into this tomorrow. And I'm going to give you some examples of uh, some very clear, very simple, very clear, forthright examples of where the New World Translation is is wrong. It's just, it's just flat out wrong. And, and so you can write these down and you'll be equipped next time one of these folks gives you a rap on your door. I like saying that instead of knock a rap. That's kind of old school. Rap on your door. All right, so let me give you a little bit more of an overview here of the NWT, the New World Translation. It is the product, the New World Translation is the product of the New World Bible Translation Committee. Committee. So they had a committee called the New World Bible Translation that produced the New World Translation. How about that? And guess what? We don't know the names of the members of the committee. We don't know who the members of this committee were. Uh, they are anonymous. Well, why is that? Well, that's a bit odd, is it not? It is odd. It's definitely odd, and it's it is it's definitely unique among all of the reputable reputable Bible translations out there. Any time a committee of scholars is formed to produce a new translation. And it doesn't matter what translate if you're talking as long as you're not talking about the message, which was produced by one guy, Eugene Peterson, which is uh, problematic in and of itself. I've written on that. But any of the reputable Bible translations, whether you're talking about the King James or the New King James or the English Standard Version or the New American Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, NASB, which is my that's my go to. Bible translation. I tell people if I was deserted, if I was on a deserted island and I could only have one Bible translation to use for the rest of my life, it would be the New American Standard. That's my go-to. That's the version from which I most often preach. Uh, I'm glad it's not the only version that I have at my disposal. I like to look at the King James. I like to look at the English Standard Version, ESV. That's another good one. And on occasion, I will look at the NIV. It's not my favorite, but uh, sometimes the NIV does do a, a good rendering. But it is a bit more of a paraphrase, so it's not my preaching Bible. But uh, occasionally I will look at it. Occasionally, not a whole lot, but, but I will every once in a while. Uh, but anyway, all of these translations, all the reputable translations, they have committees that um, get together and they produce a translation. And we know who these committee members are. It's not, it's not some big secret. It's not even a little secret. It's just, well, it's just normal. You just do that. It's no big deal. You, you have the members of the committee. You know their names and and all this. Uh, so the question is, why? Why? Is why was the the New World Translation Committee anonymous? Well, the reason that the JWs give for this, the JWs say, well, our committee was anonymous because we want God to get all of the glory and all the credit for the translation. We don't want any of the credit to go to man. We just want it to go to Jehovah. Now that that sounds very 
honorable. That that sounds very laudable for someone to have that to, to have that answer, but it's not true. It's not true. the The reason that uh, that their committee members remain anonymous is that this anonymity provides their quote unquote scholars cover. It gives them cover, and it prevents other theologians who do have academic credibility and who are learned in the original languages, the Hebrew, the Greek, and a little bit of the Aramaic, uh, it prevents any credible scholars from critiquing the work of this anonymous committee. So it gives them a bit of cover. So they couch it in very spiritual terms, very, you know, we just want God to have all the credit. We want we want Jehovah to have all the credit, but that's not really why their committee is anonymous because they know that the men who, assuming they're all men, maybe there were a few women, probably not, but uh, assuming that they were all men, that they're, the men in their committee are anonymous because they really don't have the creds, they don't have the credibility, and their work is spurious to be, to, be, um, to put it gently, uh, as we will see beginning tomorrow. So the New World Translation is the only translation, arguably, I'd say, is, is the only translation that was produced with the express purpose of fitting a group's preconceived theology and preconceived worldview into a version of the Bible. In other words, they really did not begin with the text and let the text speak for itself. They didn't go to the original manuscripts. Well, copies of original manuscripts obviously they they didn't go to the to the text the manuscripts themselves and remain slavishly tied to the text no they had a preconceived theology and so with their preconceived theology in one hand and the text in the other hand then they produced the NWT so it, it's the only bible translation that was produced with the express purpose of supporting a preconceived theology, preconceived worldview. So the New World Translation is eisegesis at its finest, or eisegesis at its as its um, at its worst, as you might prefer to say. So uh, I want us to go into the NWT. Looking at our time, we will hold this over to the next program. But beginning tomorrow, I'm going to give you some very simple, uh, concise, clear-cut examples of how the NWT tampers with the original and distorts it to support their their bad theology. All right, that will be tomorrow, Lord willing, dear ones. So thank you very much for joining me. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.